CBA is a place for everyone, doubters and believers alike, to discuss theology, current events, and a rediscovery of radical hope. Find us on Facebook at Doubters forward slash Believers Alliance and on Instagram at Doubters Believers. Good morning, good morning everyone. Welcome to Doubters Believers Alliance for August 22nd. Can't believe it's almost the end of August. That's pretty crazy. Um, hope everyone hope everyone has had a good summer so far. Um, yeah, uh, state fairs coming up here in Minnesota, which everyone here goes crazy for the state fair. However, they're doing no mask mandates. They're not doing all this stuff. So Amanda and I and Ava are sitting out of the fair for the second straight year, which I, I can honestly say I don't think that's ever happened in my life as a, an adult or as a kid, uh, sitting back from going to the fair. But, you know, our health and safety is far more important than really fatty, greasy food. Um, so we're going to not do that. Um, really random story today. Uh, I live on the east side of St. Paul, which can be good, can be bad. We love our apartment. But there was a random individual who pulled up in their car, not even in a normal like parking spot on the street, and came out and asked us if they could use my phone to call someone that they're here. And I, they were shocked when I said no. Um, I've, been, I've been born and raised in the cities my whole life, and you kind of are just taught not to give things out to random people when they ask. And she said, hey, can I use your phone so I can call my friend? She at first said, can I use your phone? Then she's like, can I put the number in all this stuff? And then I said, no. She said, oh, it's because my phone is off. But I looked, and I could see that her phone was on and, you know, dialed out. So I, at f- there was a f- first part of me that was like, did I just do a bad thing? and not let this person use a phone if they really need it. But then Amanda was like, I think she was going to steal your phone because why else would she do that? And I saw her phone was turned on. So uh, I was smart by not giving my phone um, my phone away because then I might not have been here and you could not see Doubters Believers Alliance. Uh, so maybe that was just a smart move. Um we're not going to have a meeting next week because next Sunday is my birthday and I really want to take the day off on my birthday. I have the day off um, of work the next day and I'm going to go to a brewery with some friends to celebrate. So I was like, hey, you know what? I want to sleep in a little bit because the night before I'm hanging out with my family. So I was like, you know what? I'm just not really going to have any energy to come all the way down here to Minneapolis to do this. So... We're uh, not going to be here next week. So there's going to be a little lull of when these are going to be up on the podcast feed. Oh, uh, I will say before I start my talk, obviously this comes out in the Sacred Collective feed because I'm cheap and I don't want to do one just for doubters, believers. Uh, I have a new episode that came out. Uh, it came out on Friday. It was a conversation with a musician, um, Heather Lynn. She's based out of uh, Denver. She's just really a really uh, awesome person. Her music's really good. 
it's pretty much just like poetry in essence put into music um i highly highly recommend uh you guys listening to that it's, it's really good and then support local musicians um and artists because the pandemics hit them really really hard and then i'm interviewing a person tomorrow an author of an incredibly hilarious um some might call irreverent but the book is called murder bears moonshine and mayhem and it's more of a kind of a a serious but yet kind of funny approach to some of those problem passages in the bible where it talks about sex and it talks about you know nudity and and all that stuff so i'm interviewing him tomorrow afternoon and that's going to come out in a week or two so i'm ramping up my podcasting um and then we're just going to have some more interviews and hopefully hopefully soon when this stupid covid is under wraps and we don't have all these variants we'll get our big group back together and and chat and do things so enough of that um when i was thinking of something that i could talk about today uh something that came into my head is uh deconstruction and deconstruction is this word that we've heard so much about in the last i would say you know like on twitter on instagram facebook you you hear it almost daily oh people are like i deconstructed i deconstructed i deconstructed my faith i deconstructed this relationship i did this and we and there's certain words and certain phrases that we use and that we say that sometimes i don't I don't really know if we overuse them or if they really mean what we mean. And so I'm going to get into a little bit of the the nuts and bolts kind of of where the word deconstruction came from. And even a lot of people who have deconstructed like earlier on, because of what I'll say in a few minutes, deconstruction is not a new word. It's not a new kind of philosophy or ideology. It's been around for a long time. But I think deconstruction is that word uh that a lot of people find comforting where it's like how do i say that i I believed in this and now i don't believe in this not using jesus-y or christianese language so then they're like oh deconstruction uh there's that word so um i've used it and i will still continue to use it i might think of it in a maybe a little different way than others um but i do think it's a powerful powerful thing and i will i will say this um i am a huge advocate for deconstructing i'm a a huge um i i will say we should deconstruct the things that we need to deconstruct in our lives and whether that whether that is anything with faith, whether that's anything with relationships, you know, anything, it doesn't have to be specifically religious. So I use it. I'm sure a lot of you watching it have used it or do use it. Um, and a lot of people who are exvangelicals, which is another popular word, exvangelical literally means there's evangelicalism. And there's like Protestantism. They're both Christians, but evangelicals um, are more of the conservative, politically and religiously. So Baptist churches, uh, Pentecostal churches, you know, E-free covenant, those are all evangelical churches or any fundamentalist type of church. 
Um, so when someone says they're an ex-evangelical, they're literally just saying we're an ex-evangelical. We've never, we're not in that anymore. Um, and then also people who use deconstruction a lot too are, uh, are people who have deconverted from the faith. Uh, people who don't really say that they're Christians anymore or people who um, maybe have deconverted into another religion or no religion at all will use uh, deconstruction as kind of that like, placeholder of doing that. So, where did this word deconstruction come from? That is a good question. If anybody's ever been in philosophy class, this, you will probably hear this person um, probably within the first couple weeks of philosophy class. Um, it was coined in the 1960s by a French philosopher named Jacques Derrida. I'll say that again, Jacques Derrida. And he just recently passed away. He was born in, I want to say, the early 30s, maybe like I think 31 or 33. Maybe I have it written down. Oh, just kidding. I do have it written down. He was born in 1930 and died in 2004. So, uh, out of all the philosophers that people can talk about, you talk about Kant and Hegel and other people, the, which were, you know, Kierkegaard, uh, those people were around 150, 200 years ago plus. This, this guy is, is uh, more relevant to our time right now. But Jacques Derrida came up with the, the terminology or the term deconstruction. And he used deconstruction in a philosophical sense um, which is, this is a quote that I found. Uh, he coined the term around the 1960s as a way of criticizing not only both literary and philosophical texts, texts, but also political institutions. And you can see how deconstruction fits perfectly into uh, Christianity because as much as we say we're not a political institution, the church is a political institution a.k.a. religious institutions. So he more or less used the term deconstruction for saying that it's healthy, it is healthy to criticize uh, these institutions, whether it be church, whether it be universities, uh, whether it be political spheres, um, literary things um, as well, uh, just to say, hey, do everything. A lot of his thought is question everything. And I will, this is a very deep kind of philosophical conversation. I apologize. Well, I'm not going to apologize. I think sometimes we need to, to hear it. Um, but I feel like deconstruction needs, it needs to happen within the church because if we don't, then we're just going to, and you've, this is kind of on point for a non-brand for what I say, is if we don't criticize and we don't have this healthy skepticism or doubt, then we're just going to believe in anything and everything without having the proper, you know, being okay to do it. Now, I've gotten in conversations with people and they're like, oh, well, we don't like deconstruction because that's so postmodern and, you know, postmodernism is, you know, whatever. Postmodernism has, you know, we've talked about it within the last 15, 20 years as like it's a new thing and that deconstruction is just on the scene right now. And that's simply not true. 
postmodernism, you know, there's modern, pre-modernism, modernism, postmodernism, and actually now, and I am kind of a nut for philosophy. I love it because it's just the study of knowledge or finding knowledge or gaining knowledge. But now we're actually past postmodernism, and now there's a thing called it's either called post postmodernism or not to get confused with so many posts. It's called metamodernism. Uh, you can just look look that up. I didn't make it up. Metamodernism. So it's like we're almost going past uh, postmodernism and meta metamodernism is more of looking at uh, the interplay between modernism and postmodernism and kind of, I don't know, not blending the two, but seeing how we can learn from both of these in kind of like a new way of doing things. Um, so yeah, so Derrida, and it was funny, I was reading up on it too, uh, he, towards the end of his life, since this phrase came up in the 60s, so he was probably, I don't in the 60s, he's around his 30s, but towards the end of his life, like the 90s or early 2000s, when he was, you know, older, um, close to death, he was really, he didn't, he just kind of had a displeasure of how deconstruction, which is one thing that he coined and created, was used so highly um, all the time. And, you know, a lot of people you will look at, like Tillich, or you'll look at Karl Barth, or Kierkegaard, you know, certain things that they said might be more prevalent to people than others. And I think with like most philosophers are like, look at my whole body of work that I've done and all these texts that I've given. But deconstruction is one of those thoughts processes that he had in an ideology that I think has that just kind of blossomed into uh, something more than he thought it was. So he was a little he was a little frustrated towards the end of his life that how deconstruction got so big. But as like I was saying, you can see how deconstruction has been so prevalent within the church. Because how many times have you heard me talk about deconstructing bad theology, deconstructing bad doctrines? Like, the first one I think that's kind of went under the microscope within deconstruction is like the concept of hell or the interpretation of scripture. And that goes right back to deconstruction, which literally, you know, what going through what, Derrida said is it has to be suspect. It has to be something where uh, it's like this health, healthy skepticism. It's critiquing it. And I think that's the big thing within philosophy is it's not always saying like what you believe in is right or wrong, but can it stand up to critique? And when I tell Christians all the time, when you can deconstruct something, you're not always saying it's 100% wrong or it's 100% faulty, but you're holding a critique. And I would say this with any religion. If you're in any religion, Christianity, Buddhism, Islam, if you're in that religion, whether as a holy person or as an adherent to it, and you in your religion can't hold up to critiques about itself, maybe that's not a really good religion. I know that's a hot take, but that's just my opinion. It's like you should be able to sit back, and people should be able to sit back and be like, okay, we believe in this concept of hell within Christianity, and then when other people critique it, instead of being like, oh my gosh, you just don't believe anymore, it should be more of like, well, I don't know what I believe in it, like this is problematic, uh, uh, and you've seen that within a lot of people who have deconstructed, they're saying, when I was younger, hell made sense, 
But now that I've deconstructed and I've critiqued it and maybe other outside forces, things in life happened where you're like, hmm, I don't know if this is something that is plausible or is good. And like I've said it before, one of my favorite people, um, she passed away, unfortunately, not so long ago, was Phyllis Tickle. And she was more or less a church historian. And she wrote this famous quote that every 500 years or so, the church has like a garage sale where they just find the things within Christianity that are old, that is stale, that needs to be reinterpreted, deconstructed, and we kind of put it out there in the yard sale. And she's like, you look within Christian history, we've done that like every 500 years. Kind of like, oh, we believe this for the last three to 500 years. Why? Why did we believe this? Oh, okay. So now we're in this kind of like epic. We're in this within the last 20 to 25 years where a lot of Christians across the board have just kind of sat back and are like, why? Why, are, why do we believe these doctrines? Why are we believing the doctrine of hell? Why do we believe in the doctrine of sanctification? Why do we believe in the doctrine of, you know, fill in the blank? And it's not saying that we're kicking it all out, but it's this healthy skepticism. It's this healthy critique. And that's why I think deconstruction has, is a word that people like because it's this, it's this amalgamation of all these thoughts and ideas that are coming into our head and we're saying this is this word works this this idea and philosophy works because we're 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 bringing this out to the forefront we're we're taking these weird doctrines or doctrines that have been held for so long and we're kind of dusting off the cobwebs and are like why do we have this just think about it in your house like you go into your closet and you're like what the hell i didn't even know i had these shoes i didn't know i had this shirt and then you're like why do i have it this doesn't like it just doesn't fit me anymore uh or you go in your you go in your garage why this paint is like 30 years old why do i have this so of course you're going to get rid of it that's the same thing that we should do with even within our faith of being like and i think you're seeing that kind of on a more corporate level where you see people where you see people and they're like or denominations or communities being like should we should we believe in this is this good and that's what i hope you know doubters believers alliance is is we're having this healthy skepticism towards everything and i don't think it can be scary but i think it also can be life-giving when you can sit back and be like hmm and everyone who's watching or who listens a lot of us could be like hey i i really you know believe that there is a hell a little you know a little replace that's fine and that's that's okay and one thing i agree with jay so well is we can disagree well and we should be able to disagree well but so much in the church is like oh brian you disagree with me on political things on religious things well let's be enemies we can't be friends we can't break bread together and it's like no we can disagree with each other but we have to have this mutual respect for one another and if that's just not what you see in in the church and one thing i'll say at the end but i'll kind of kind of do a uh, prelude to it right now is that deconstruction should be done out of love when you deconstruct something you're not doing it because you're hateful you're not doing it because you're like i want to i want to see this thing burn and crumble you're doing it because it needs to be done 
and just think about love when like if a man and I are mad at each other not that we're mad at each other but just like hypothetical like we'll have to sit down and have these hard conversations not because we want to see it crumble and burn it's because we want to make it better we want to make our relationship better or even if something if we get mad at Ava and we have to discipline her like we had to do yesterday we're not doing it because we're mad at her or we hate her we're doing it out of love because she needs to be better and, and she needs to realize what she's doing is wrong and that's a lot what deconstruction should be done is we should do it out of love um people looking at my notes and there's a book i'll go to um here in a second that's really impacted me but people do not deconstruct just for the hell of it people deconstruct because they want to search for the meaning these are three things i want to say for the meaning the it and the impossible they might not ever find it but maybe the popularity in deconstruction is it's an openness to to dream about the impossible, to reinterpret and reformulate how things are done. So when you look at deconstruction and a lot of what Derrida and other contemporaries of Derrida, Derridaian thought, I don't know if that's really a thing, but I like it, Derridaian. It works. It sounds cool. It makes me sound smarter than probably what I really am. But it's it's they're they're wanting to search for the meaning, like why why do we believe in such a thing and then the it what is the it like what is this doctrine what is the meaning of life this existential angst and the impossible part of deconstructing is you're like i don't know what is out there you know so for instance hell i i don't believe in a literal hell anymore and i it's not that i deconstruct because i'm like I wanted to, when I really started kind of deconstructing, I was like, I just really don't believe in it because if I'm honest, it never really made sense because we talk about love and Jesus is love, but then all these people are going to go to hell. What kind of God, you know? So I started going down this rabbit hole, but then when I found these kind of like meanings about deconstruction, and it's like, well, I'm doing this because I want to find the meaning. Like, why are we saying this? Why do we do it? The it is hell. Why? Why? Well, it's hell, and it's problematic to me, so instead of just believing it willy-nilly and preaching other about it to other people, I want to be like, what is it? And then the impossible is, well, what comes after it? If there is no hell, what therefore am I? Or what, am, what can I say to other people? And that is just personally for me, but I think that within Christianity, we should do that with every doctrine. What's the meaning behind this doctrine? Why do we have it? The it, then that is that doctrine. And then the impossible is looking beyond the veil of like, what's next? What can we do after that? If they're, you know, so after hell, maybe it could be universal, universal. Sounds like I'm gonna say Urkel, universal universal salvation or universal reconciliation or it could be non-existence it could be like this is all that there is and i think so many people within at least within christianity where probably most of us who watch or come here have had have been brought up in it some way or another is we get scared because we're like if therefore there is no hell then what is there and we just get so 
it's just like in our, our brains, like, wait, what, what? It's like this fight or flight. Like, if there's not this, then what is there? And I've actually told, like, my mom and my brother, I've even said to Amanda that, and this is just where my brain goes, I was like, we're so conditioned within Christianity to say we're sinners in the hand of an angry God. Jesus died on the cross for our sin, and we need salvation from him, and then we go to heaven. And then if you don't believe in Jesus the way Christians say it, then you go to hell for all of eternity, right? Kind of summing that up. That's how it goes. But I will throw out things and say, maybe, maybe, maybe this life on this planet is hell. When you get cancer, when you get, uh, you know, a loved one passes, like when my dad died, and I've said this a lot to people, that was hell for me. That was hell. I found my father dead at a church where I was interning. And so the person, part of the, one of the people who brought me into this world I had to find them dead. No one should ever have to find any, anybody, including a loved one, dead. So, yes, I was going through suffering. Yes, I lamented. But I think it's okay to say that, that what I was experiencing at that moment and even in the subsequent weeks and months was that was hell. Yeah, I was going through the nasty, worst part of my life not feeling close to God or the divine or the presence or whatever. So that's in a way how hell can be here on earth. But yet you can experience heaven. When my daughter was born, I wasn't even, I didn't even do the hard work. Amanda did. But when I had, and I tell people, I had every single emotion possible come out of me at the same exact, like at that same moment. I was happy. I was euphoric. Uh, I was sad. I was mad. I, I don't know why. It's just like having, like seeing something that you know that you created with this youth, your partner, and you, you, you could see some of the things, like I could see the baby growing in Amanda's womb, and when we would go to the hospital, you can see her little heartbeat and do all this stuff, but then when she's really there, it's just amazing. And I remember my mom was in the hospital and like, I, I could not even see through my glasses. They were fogged. And then I had, and you know, your tears have salt in it. So there was like salty tears all over my glasses. But I was, and I, and I said to Amanda a number of weeks later, I'm like, that was like a brief glimpse of heaven to me. That was like heaven on earth. Cause it was just that you hear about it and childbirth has been happening since the beginning of creation. And but when you experience it, you're like, wow, this is incredible. This is fantastic. So maybe that is what, like, heaven, heaven is like that. Or maybe this is what heaven is. But then people are like, well, and then when I get back to hell, I'll say, but maybe, maybe this life is all that there is. Maybe there is no hell. Maybe, maybe there's universal reconciliation where we're all in heaven or whatever heaven is and it's cool, it's great, or maybe it's just we cease to exist after this. Maybe when we die, we die, and that's all that there is. And I know I'll get pushed back from people, and people will be like, well, what's the point of this life if there's no point to the afterlife? And I'm like, that's my point, that this life is what we have, so let's make the most of it. You know, and I, yeah, I want to see my dad again someday. I want to see my grandparents, and I'm sure anyone who's lost people that they love, they're like, if this all that there is, then this sucks. And I was like, but we don't know if this is all that there is. So you can see how 
deconstruction scares people, but deconstruction should also be something that we should look at and we should not strive per se, but that it's okay. It's okay to critique these things. It's okay to, and then the thing with deconstruction, which I love too, is it's not gonna say you're gonna have the answer. And another thing too is deconstruction isn't something where you're like, it's not like a label where you're like, I'm a Christian and usually you're gonna be a Christian your whole life. Deconstruction people are like, I'm a deconstructing person and this is who I am now. Deconstruction is meant as a philosophical ideology to deconstruct at a certain thing at a certain time. It's not supposed to be this continual thing. It's supposed to, it's supposed to be when you deconstruct, you deconstruct what you need to deconstruct, and then therefore, how do you start reconstructing? So, okay, you decom you, let's say you deconverted. So you use deconstruction to deconvert. Out of your deconversion, now how therefore are you reconstructing your life, your passions, your, your own philosophy, your ideology on life? So you don't want to keep doing this deconstruction your whole life, but more of you need to deconstruct what you need to deconstruct and then start building this philo or, or, uh, a reconstructed framework. I told you this is going to get really th philosophical today. Um, Somebody who I've been really influenced on, and some of you who have listened to Jay knows that he was influenced too, is a, is a philosopher named uh, John Caputo. And other people, he goes by Jack too. And I'm gonna, this book has really <clears throat> influenced me uh, for the last number of years. And like I've said, just now I feel like you see on Twitter, on, on Instagram, people the last couple of years talking about deconstruction. This book, and Amanda has put it in the notes, but it was, I'll show you, it's called What Would Jesus Deconstruct? Uh, the Good News of Postmodernism for the Church. Um, this book came out in 2007. Uh, and Jack Caputo is, he, he takes a, he's very much philosophical. Um, he actually teaches at Syracuse University. Um, but so it's a little out it's like w with publishing people would say oh four you're you know you're quoting a book from 14 years ago yeah i am but it's really 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 good but he goes through so i highly highly recommend it and i see that amanda put the sh uh, put the link in the show notes it's out of a series that they did called the church in the postmodern culture um i will say it's very heady in a lot of parts but i think if you do read it you will see Oh, I see where Brian's getting it. Where where this is what deconstruction looks like, or what it should be. But I'm going to read a couple uh, parts out of it um, that I think are really really good. So let me go to this first part. I probably should have put a bookmark in there. But so this is this what I'm going to read is from John Caputo from his text, um, and I'll try to sum up what he was thinking in there. So put on your thinking caps. In deconstruction, one sets out in search of, or rather, one is oneself searched out or called on by whatever is unconditional or undeconstructible. In a given order, and it is precisely in virtue of this undestructible X, which does not exist, which does not exist yet, which never quite exists, that everything that does exist in that order is deconstructible. Whatever exists, whatever is present, 
is contingent, historical, constructed, or under determinate conditions like the church or Sabbath, and as such is inwardly disturbed by the e by the undeconstructable, unconditional impulse that stirs within it, which for the church is the event that occurs in the name of Jesus. To deconstruct is on the one hand to analyze and criticize, but also on the other hand, and more importantly, to feel about for what is living and stirring within a thing. That is, feeling for the event that stirs within the deconstructible structure in order to release it, to set it free, or give it a new life, a new being, a future. Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? That is why deconstruction is affirmation, doubly so, we we, the affirmation of the impossible, of the undeconstructible event whose life it bears within it like an expectant mother, which means a mother who expects and prays for an event. Did we follow? That pretty it's pretty heady. Just that's how the whole book is. <laughs> And what I get when I've, I mean, I've read this book a couple times, but what I think, what is it saying is we know in deconstruction that whatever that it is or whatever the meaning is, he's literally just saying like in deconstruction, it is healthy to deconstruct and it's actually good to deconstruct because maybe we need to deconstruct said whatever to get to what X is. And X is using like mathematical language X is whatever the end goal is, whatever we need to get to. And he even says in here, what I want to focus on is whatever exists, whatever is present in, in that order is deconstructible. So he's literally saying in here, we can deconstruct the church. We can deconstruct these theologies, these thought patterns, these philosophies, because at its very existence, if it does exist, it's deconstructible. And, we'll, and people will say, modernist thought, modernist theologians, modernist pastors will say, you can't deconstruct God because God, God is it. God is above all things. A postmodern like Caputo would say, no, because it does exist in whatever form it does exist, it is deconstructible and it should de be deconstructed. And like he ends within this expectant mother. A mother knows she's pregnant. A mother can feel the birth pangs. That's even scriptural. Because, and she knows that new life is going to come forth from her, so she's expectant. So we, when we do deconstruction, and I'm dumbing this down a lot, but that's literally what it's meaning. Because something is created and formed, and I, and I didn't say it in this talk, but I use a phrase that I found in here, is... Uh, Every con or everything that is constructed is deconstructable. Deconstructible. So when people say God, because God is a word, is a phrase, and an idea that we understand, it's in the lexicon of the world. Therefore, it is deconstructible because it's there, it's real, it's present. Just like when people are like, "Oh, hell." or the doctrine of salvation, we can't deconstruct that. Yes, we can, because it's been around for thousands of years. People have been talking about it for years, and within deconstruction, within the philosophical framework, it's like, because it does exist, therefore, we have the right and the power to do so. Good? Follow? Um, and the last thing I want to say, 
because I'm gonna just, I'm gonna hurt my own head if I keep <laughs> talking longer about this. But deconstruction as love, like I said, we we when we do construction deconstruction, it's hard, but it's something that we need to do, and we need to do just like we do anything. We need to do it out of love. But uh, Caputo says this as well. Derrida once said, deconstruction is not negative, even though it has often been interpreted as such, despite all sorts of warnings. For me, this is Caputo, it always accompanies an affirmative exigency, I can't even say it, exigency, there we go. I would even say that it never proceeds without love. Deconstruction does not take a single step without love. It always follows in the steps of love, following love's call. What does it love? The impossible, the undeconstructable, what is coming, the event. Deconstruction is affirmation, the affirmation of the impossible, of the coming event. Obviously, people might be like, well, what is the impossible? What is the event? They, like what I said earlier, the impossible is maybe that what's not yet known. Maybe the impossible is, if using the example of the doctrine of hell, maybe the impossible is we don't know what's next. But out of love, we're saying, because I love you, because I love this, we're trying to form something greater, more beautiful, more, uh, more vibrant. And, it, it, and you should do it out of love. And that's why I get so passionate when I get to talk up here every day or every Sunday at DBA, why I love having conversations with family and friends about church and theology and Christianity because I'm like, w within the framework of deconstruction, I'm like, I'm not just saying, oh, I want to be a, a mad evangelical. I just want to say people hurt me, which is true. Tra trauma is real and we need to work through that. But I'm more coming at it from a philosophical framework of I'm trying to deconstruct these things because we need to do it. We have all these pastors and theologians and philosophers within the Christianity realm are saying, no, we can do this. We have the right and, and, and the, you know, the okay to do so. But when you do deconstruct, whether you, know, you deconstruct as yourself, maybe you're a family unit and you're all into deconstruction, it needs to be out of love and out of when you do deconstruction out of love, it flows out something more beautiful for that event, for the un, for, you know unseen. Um, and I and frankly, a lot of things what I see on Facebook, on on Instagram and Twitter are people deconstructing, but they're doing it with just a pissed off attitude, where they're like, "Oh, f this person, f that person, they're blah blah blah." And I sit back and I'm like, "Yeah." You have the right to feel that way, but if you're really doing deconstruction and you're doing it in a public place like your social media account, and that's what I don't get. People are like, I don't know why I'm getting all this hate or I'm getting all this, you know, angst. I'm like, you're doing it on a public platform that anybody in the whole entire world can see. You know, whether that's Facebook or Instagram, it's like you're putting that out there. And I've, I've fallen prey to that too, where I'm like, Amanda, why am I getting all this flack on Facebook? She's like, well, why'd you post it? You wanted that flack a little bit. And then I'm like, oh. But in the last number of months, I've really, when I, within my own deconstruction, I've been like, 
how am I doing this out of love? I'm not doing this to be divisive, and that is not my goal. My goal when I do deconstruction is how can we take these hurtful, damning, terrible things within Christianity, and how can, out of love, we can find the impossible, or we can create, search for the impossible. And that's a word, that's like a word I think Christians are almost allergic to. Is like, we, we have to know what the impossible is. We have to know what's beyond the veil. We have to know what's behind the curtain. And a lot of times I just say, we, we don't. Well, we don't, but that's why we're deconstructing. So when we can deconstruct, if we ever get to be what's behind the veil, whatever we get that's behind the curtain, we can say, oh, okay. And, like I, and I tell people, we have to be okay as people who, whether we're Christians, agnostic, or atheistic, we have to be okay within our deconstruction to be wrong. We have to be okay to be like, uh, okay, now, now, that, now that there's nothing here, or maybe that now that there's something else here that we didn't know before, and that's what, you know, deconstruction helped us. Um, yeah, so I could go a little bit longer, but my head hurts and we're all going to get food after this. I know this was a really kind of a deep, deep dive, but I feel like why I kind of came up with this talk was I feel like we see deconstruction, you know, everyone's saying it now. And I, what, I, what I was kind of funny is even now evangelical churches, I feel bad for a lot of evangelical churches because they're like five years behind kind of what's happening out in the sphere of things so now you have a lot of like evangelical churches and denominations like even the southern baptists are like "Ooh, deconstruction uh we're gonna give our take on that and i want to be like guys you're like five years late to this conversation like this book was written 14 years ago by academics and that's why i always tell people what's ha happening in academia circles and what's happening in colleges and universities and seminaries and then what's happening in churches are like 10 years apart at least because we're like we're and that's why i think education is so important is because the things we're talking about in seminary are things that eventually are going to get down to the layperson and the joe schmo sitting in the pew but and it's funny because people will be like oh uh well the reason deconstruction is happening is because people hate jesus or you're sinning and now you're just using deconstruction and i want to be like I do not think you know what that word means, and I don't think you know why everyone does it. And every, like I tell you, everyone has their reason for deconstructing. Everyone has their reason if they deconvert or stop believing in a certain doctrine. So don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. What I'm coming to you say, this is where deconstruction philosophically came from. Derrida, this is what, why he said deconstruction is good. What I'm saying with Caputo, he's giving us the sheer and utter you know running to deconstruction of like this is good for the church and you know people like her brian mclaren tony jones pete rollins i would say even jay all and i would put myself in there when we talk about deconstruction when we say it's a good thing it's not saying we want to just cut everything down and so that there's nothing left it's saying no we need to get to the heart of what church is we need to get heart to the heart of what community is we need to get to the heart of what christ meant when he talked about community and being with one another not the doctrines not you know how you do church but what does what do we really need to 
you know, what does it really mean? And what Caputo says, we might not necessarily un- get to that. To, to get to that, we might not understand it. But going back to the meaning, to the it, and to the and to dream the impossible, we might not ever find out what the impossible is. But it's still not wrong, and it's appropriate to wonder and dream of what the possible could be. Good. I'll just take some donations for my TED talk here this morning. No, I'm just kidding. Um, is there any questions? We can always do this after words. Yes, no, maybe so. All right, everyone, um, we're going to wrap up for today. Uh, like I said, uh, if you tune in next week on Doubters, Believers, and Alliance, and you're like, why aren't they here? It's my birthday. I'm not going to be here. Um, so if you do show up, bless you but i'm not going to be here so till next time hope everyone has a great sunday or whenever you listen to this a great day and be nice to one another and deconstruct all right bye